Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Matt Report Season 8 today with my newfound friend Jeff Large. You can find Jeff at jefflarge.com. He has a podcast production and content creation company. In fact, when we recorded this some time ago, number one, I was sick, uh, so I do apologize for a little cold sounding, uh, but uh, we did a back-to-back uh, session. It was about a little over two hours where I recorded on his episode, on his podcast for his new episode, which you can find right now at jefflarge.com, and of course this episode for the Matt Report. So we covered a lot in terms of like content creation and podcasting and, you know, getting the right customer and, and shaping your brand and your image around content creation. It's a lengthy discussion, but a great one. And I hope you really enjoy it. And if you do, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Helps us get found. Share this episode with friends, colleagues who might be thinking about getting into the podcasting space. Share the Matt Report in general. Let the word out there that we're covering more than just the WordPress stuff these days. Let's get right into the episode. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. So the typical question that I have is, what's your two-minute elevator pitch? Who are you and what do you do? Jeff Large. I run a small agency that produces podcasts for business professionals and brands. But let's start with the switch. Why go from the typical WordPress developer or potential agency to the podcasting agency, some glaring thing that you saw that said, yeah, this, this makes much more sense to me to do this. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to frame, I'm going to give a little context in order and to, to frame this better and then feel free to, if you need me to elaborate on something. Don't take over the show, Jeff. This is my show. We just did your show. (laughs) Now you're in my show. I'm giving context. So you understand the full picture. My, my background is musician and teacher. I had a stint of time that got me introduced into podcasting. I was running a board game publishing company, and that's when I started producing my first podcast ever as a means to learn, network, get word out there, that type of a thing. And so I have this background, and it was the board game business uh, that I am no longer a part of um, that sort of got me the business entrepreneurial itch I resigned from teaching about five years ago, and that's when I started Come Alive Creative, which at the time was like a web dev digital marketing agency, very typical to what most people start off as in the WordPress space. We naturally went through some niching. I spent about a year on e-commerce and getting really involved in that, and kind of what ended up happening is by maybe year three, we started to round back out with more larger custom builds. We were doing mildly okay. I had a really good team behind me where it started with just me developing and then two designers that would help me with the visual aspects. And so the team was doing stuff and it got to a spot where a variety of things, um, it's been a little while since I've had to revisit why I left um, and I've been very immersed in what I'm doing now, but the short of it is the projects we were doing were starting to outpace my own skill set. And that made me a little bit nervous. And so if the people that I contracted weren't available when things, if they ever exploded, and sometimes they would just because it's the internet, um, I wasn't always necessarily personally prepared. And so that liability made me a little bit worrisome. But I think the thing that was bigger was I didn't like the competition in the space and not from the fact of like it's competition competition's fine like it pushes progress and all these types of things but when somebody doesn't know there was so much time i spent on education so a client who it isn't their job to understand what goes to puts into a good website it would be very rational and logical questions for somebody if it was on the smaller side like if you're dealing with small business or even medium business where it's like okay what's the difference between your x thousand dollar website versus this person's standard $2,000 website versus this $500 Wix site versus a $100 theme versus this free theme. And people wouldn't get it. And something might look beautiful, but be built terribly. And I'd find myself so often in this educational circle before we really got them places. And like I said, I mean, it began to change because our clientele, fortunately, like was growing up as we went. Um, But just that fight for really basic things that were common sense to me and my team. And it's like, look, this is silly. And it was sort of running parallel to that was the podcasting thing where we had a few clients that I was producing branded podcasts for. I started mine back up again. And through some advisors and friends of mine, I was really just pushed to focus on something. 
and the something happened to be podcasting. And so that's sort of the snapshot of how that took place. What do you think? What, <clears throat> did you also have challenges in educating folks around WordPress as well? So not only did you have to educate them on, you know, price point and value and all that fun stuff, but did you also, did you also struggle with, um, you know, just pure education on the WordPress side of things? Like, hey, you built me this awesome site. We paid $10,000 for it. And oh my God, I have no idea how to use this thing. Mm. Yeah, we, I systematized that a lot just as much as I could. Um, like practically, if we, if we get into the weeds a little bit with some of it, like me having a teacher background, I was thinking of things like, okay, what are they going to need to do? And I knew how to do it or my team knew how to do it. And so it'd be like simple stuff, like how to create a post, how to create a new page, how to edit this thing, how to properly add an image, how to like all those things that you commonly do with your website that are more run of the mill upkeep. Um, we created video tutorials for them for, and that just came part of the release. And then I hosted most of those on Wistia, um, if you've used that as a video service before. And so they would just get access to these things. And I tried to remove myself as much as possible and to give them a resource that they could revisit. And it usually like kind of the process for that was like, watch these videos. And if you still have questions, then I'll come in and will work with you or someone will come in and, and kind of further explain these things or a new question would come up that we didn't address and I would just make a tutorial for it, like a quick little screencast and then share it with them. And so that was there, but we did things that mitigated the time that we had to put into it as much. So that was a little more streamlined. Without having to uh, name names or smash your computer, what, what was the scenario that was the, uh, the last straw for you in terms of when you looked at it and said, you know what? I'm sick of having to explain this. I'm sick of going down this path every time. This is it for me. Hard transition to podcast business. I don't think it was, it wasn't a person or a computer or I mean like a business or anything that pushed me that. It was more of the guidance I was getting from people that I trusted. Um, these were conversations my wife and I were having pretty frequently. She's not, she doesn't have like an active role in the business outside of being my wife and my main sounding board. And so like she knew what I was thinking and she was always the one that I would go to with this stuff. And I had one advisor in particular where I had a business coach and then I had like two other people that have basically 20 plus years in adjacent industries in their own businesses that would often give me advice. And one of them was really like, focus on something. Like right now you're doing a lot, you're offering a lot of different services. Um, learning more about just the power of positioning and the power of niching down with your branding and your service offerings and things. And so I thought about it for a while. And, and for me, just looking over, I did some analysis on the prior year's uh, revenue and where it was coming from and what kind of jobs. And it was the podcasting was the thing that I found most interesting. Um, it was the thing that I personally enjoyed the most. We made a fair amount of our revenue from that year from it. Um, and I was like, I felt like the expert in the room, um, with it cause I've done it for so long and just the audio experience and things. And so I just got to a spot where I was like, I got to do it. Like it just really wasn't a choice anymore. And, and I wanted to go all in and sort of burn, burn the bridges so I couldn't go back. And, and we ended up over the course of like two months, literally gutting everything, firing like properly not i wouldn't say firing properly offboarding most of our clients and and starting fresh with this brand new like this is the only thing that we do uh, i'm glad you brought that up because that was actually going to be my next question is how did you or one or two things that looking back uh on offboarding uh any way you would approach that differently or how did you approach that that maybe somebody listening uh might do that because there's a lot of folks that are transitioning to just products only still in the WordPress space, but products only uh, folks who are now transitioning from freelance life to, you know, agency life with another agency that, you know, they don't own. Um, so what, what do you have in terms of uh, sage pieces of advice for offboarding clients that you're no longer wanting to work with? Um, I mean, I'm no expert with that type of a thing over the course of our industry or over the course of our agency. I've only had to like quote unquote fire one client. Um, it was just a bad relationship and, and I really just kept it as cut and dry as possible and followed our contract and offboarded them the exact way that our contract said that I could. Um, and so that was, 
that, but I think most of this comes down to, um, I try really hard to, to love the people I'm working with well, whether it's my team or my clients. And so it's, it's being a person of integrity. It's fulfilling the obligations that I said I would. Um, all of them, it just happened timing wise that most of them were coming up on their main, most of the people that we work with would take over maintenance as well on the site. So your standard updates and everything. And we finished out those contracts. Um, we let them know in advance that we were no longer going to be servicing them in that way. I gave them options of other people that they could go to that would be trustworthy. Um, the projects, the active dev projects that we had going, we wrapped those up, closed them out. Um, and then there was only a few who were like, you really need to do this work. We're not going to do it anymore. And it's not anything to you. It's just we're moving in this way. And so we've already purposely scouted some people that you might be interested in. Here are their contacts. And so it's like, I didn't need to do any of that per se. Like I very easily could have just been, okay, our contract's done. But I mean, it was more of a matter of good communication, finishing what I said I was going to do and letting them know here are some options to move forward that I personally would recommend. Uh, a lot has changed in the WordPress space over the last couple of years. I'm sure that since you were building it, um, again, like I said at the top of the show, as somebody who isn't super deep into it anymore, in other words, you're not you know, actively building out full-fledged sites um, like you used to. I mean, what's your general feeling of recommending or using the platform or using the WordPress CMS? Uh, what's your take on uh, what things looked like back then versus how you see things now, or maybe even more particularly, how do you feel for the, the freelancer who's still building websites or the small boutique agents who's, who's still building websites? Uh, do you have any kind of uh, reaction to, to where, where, where WordPress is today? Man, that, that is loaded. <laughs> That's an episode right there. All right. And it's not, not even so much what I think. It's just like what's actually going on. I'm not even in the thick of it remotely, like you said, compared to what I used to be. From what I saw before, I'm trying to think of what would be most beneficial for me to talk about in this realm. It's like when I did it before, I love the fact that it's open source. I love the fact that we have control as developers to be able to do what we want. I love the fact that even now with the changes, nobody's going to, really come in and go okay we're going to dictate this content in this way or we're going to force you into these specific corners like you and i were speaking about on, on our my episode with you just earlier that like you go through certain phases with youtube where creators would get a hit if they're if all of a sudden you can monetize ads if you weren't making so many views and hours and all these things um facebook and twitter and all these different platforms like censoring or filtering or just all you go from x amount percentage organic traffic to not and all these variables that were just outside of our control so that i still really appreciate that freedom that something like wordpress will give you i think that's very very important that being said for me personally i guess the other thing that i should probably point out is that i just don't care about development that much there's plenty of developers that are amazing and they love it and they think like that. And around the time of my transition, the other piece is like, I like solving the bigger, I, and I wouldn't even say the different problem. I wouldn't say bigger problem. The different problem of something like marketing or that for me is more interesting. There's, I just, I find a lot of variables. I like the people interaction, that type of stuff is cool. And so there's other things that like sort of began to remove me from WordPress itself. When I look at it now, like I can tell you out of the gate, moving from being a dev agency to more of just loosely put like a marketing agency or an audio marketing agency, it's so much more fun to go to WordCamps. Like WordCamps are a freaking riot because I'm not in direct competition with basically anyone there anymore. And I just get to hang out and I get to like, if I hear people with a problem, I'm like, you know what? I got the perfect person to solve your problem. And so I get to be much more of a connector in that way. And I'm able to talk about something that um, a lot of people are really curious about. And so that part of it's fun. The other thing that I see that I think is worth noting is that there seems to be in some WordPress communities that I'm a part of a bubble or a, a, an unwillingness almost to look around and I 
now I'm at a spot that I, I still hang out with a lot of WordPress people, but I also hang out with a lot of just general users and clients, as well as like a lot of marketing, uh, s- different circles and, and communities. And WordPress, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of animosity, it seems like right now with this change to Gutenberg, like very predominant people that I respect in the WordPress community have like spoken out their qualms and, and issues and things with it. You got other people that are pushing back. You have different indiv- independent and individual freelancers that are complaining about these things. And like, there's all this stuff going on and, and I don't know how to sum it all up well, but for me, it sort of comes down to, it's not really about the tool. It's like, what problem are you solving and are you solving it? And if WordPress happens to be the right tool, then do it. And if it's not, find something else. But no, I don't I don't know many clients that paid me to make a WordPress site. I just know clients that paid me to solve their problem. And if WordPress happened to be the fix, then I would do it's it. It's interesting that you say, and maybe I was just reading this wrong, but when you went to WordCamps, you felt like maybe when you were the developer or running the agency that you felt like you might have been in a competitive environment. Was that something that was just sort of a gut feeling or were there direct sort of, you know, rubbing folks the wrong way kind of thing happening? Because generally, and I'll just Mm. preface it, I guess, is generally I feel like even agencies in the WordPress space don't recognize them, don't recognize other agencies as competitors. Um is the general feeling that I get. Like a lot of people are there to help each other. I'm not saying you were going around looking at everybody and saying competitor, 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 but did you get the feeling that maybe people were looking at you as competitor? Um, Take me down that path. Did you feel like that was the feeling at, at a WordCamp? Yeah, this is that's, that's dicey because it's not <clears throat> like I have definitive evidence. A lot of it is just like kind of somewhat awareness. And... To your point, WordPress is abnormal in the sense of how friendly it is. Um, There's other industries. The board game community, I can say, is ridiculous in terms of how open and friendly it is, even amidst competing board game publishers. And so I was able to experience that in a lot of ways, and I don't disagree. I think WordPress, by and large, the individuals that make it up, there's a lot of amazing people that are incredibly helpful. So it was never that kind of standpoint and I don't have any explicit examples of this was a time that I quote unquote felt threatened or something but I think it came more down to if there's a client talking to two different freelancers or agencies or whatever it might be or a a prospect rather not a client somebody that's looking for work and I do e-commerce and they do e-commerce even if we're friends somebody is going to be vying for that project. And so that's like kind of some of those subtle truths you can't really get away from. And even now, like I said, there's job forums in some of the uh, WordPress Slack groups and things that I'm in. And somebody might say, hey, I have this type of job if you're interested. And then all of a sudden it's this thread of like me, 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 me. And so, I mean, it's it's there. I think it, it would be silly if we didn't acknowledge that even though we are generally friendly and even though I think this is a very unique uh, echo. I don't know what the word I want. It's a very unique community. There's still competition, and really, I don't. I don't know how you get away from yeah, that. Yeah, um, I agree uh, wholeheartedly that it's it's definitely an abnormal, um, you know, ecosystem. Because we were talking about on your show uh, about an hour ago. You know, when I'm doing plugin tutorials on my channel, uh, you know, sometimes I I sort of uh, are jealous of of product of typical product reviewers on YouTube because. They could be holding a Sony, I keep saying Sony camera because my camera's right next to me, and they could be reviewing the new Sony camera and be like, I don't know what these engineers were thinking when they placed these buttons here. Kind of stupid that they did that. But if you did the same thing about, you know, my references to like Pippin's plugins, like Easy Digital Downloads, I don't know why Pippin, you know, he must have been drunk when he put this this button here. (laughs) If you say things like that. It's a tighter community and people look at you and they say, eh, I really wouldn't say that about Pippin, you know, or, or, you know, whatever example you want to throw in. So it's definitely a different uh, space, but the money is sort of abnormal to that because there's a lot of money, both in the creative agency side and in the digital product side that one would expect more competition, more open competition like that. Like I'm talking just like Chevy versus Ford. 
right? To bring it back to cars. Like truck guys will always buy Chevys. Truck guys will always buy Fords and they will never cross paths, right? And if you were a Ford guy, you went to Chevy, you were kicked out of your county, <laughs> you know? Um, mm -hmm. You would imagine that at, at this point, we would have some of those real competitive pieces like in contact forms, in e-commerce plugins, um, you know, in page builder plugins, those real competitive markets. You, you would think by now we'd see some more rigid competition but or more fierce competition, but we don't, which is kind of interesting. What technologies are more interesting to you nowadays? So customer does come to you and they say, I don't care where you put this podcast site. Are you looking at new CMSs that might be interesting to people? Or are you looking at just rolling your own stuff? What, what does that look like? Um, the easiest thing and the best thing still for us is WordPress. Um, I, though, the change I'm making internally is I don't want to touch them anymore. Um, and it's, but there's just like, even, I don't want to learn code. I don't want to write code anymore. Like <laughs> it's just something I don't care to do. I, I held my own in PHP, HTML, CSS. I never really got into JavaScript. Um, and I didn't want to. And with the Gutenberg rollout and everything and my initial, dealings with it i accidentally hit update on one of my more minor sites and i went to like paste in uh like plain text paste in just an article something simple and all of a sudden it, it reverted to like 18 different blocks and i'm like <laughs> what is happening to this like that was always that was a pretty fun experience um but stuff like that like those are the things i i don't want to take up mental space anymore and so I will likely, I'm still building our internal stuff, but outside of that, anything client-wise, I will hire developers to do. Um, in terms of other things, I mentioned to you, I don't have any background outside of the fact that it looks interesting, but I would like to play with Ghost. And my general philosophy is what I said earlier is, I'm open to what works. And so if there's another platform that can give me the same perks and positives and outcomes as a WordPress based website can, I'm, I have no reason to hate on it at this point. Like I, I'm totally open in that sense. It's funny, you know, in the race to get even more market share, WordPress that is, uh, to go from wherever we're at now, 30%, 32% of the modern web, you know, to Matt, Matt Mullenweg's, you know, generous goal of 100%. <laughs> um, this shift to Gutenberg or the shift to the Gutenberg editor has caused a lot of people who have uh, been responsible for dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of sites being launched onto the web, um, causing them to look at other platforms uh, now and actually open their eyes, which, you know, is uh, it's kind of funny and uh, to see that uh, to sort of see that happen. But I think a good thing um, for a lot of us to start exploring new technology. In the same vein, well, I mean, we love WordPress because it's open and, and we can, it's open source uh, and we can publish whatever we want on it. What do you do with the podcast files themselves? This is more, I guess, technical, but do you have a preferred platform where you host your customers' files, uh, audio files for the podcast that you put out? Um, is a preferred platform that you use. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a bit of a transition. Um, there, this is weird because this will be dated in time and I might change my opinion. I hate this kind of stuff. <laughs> you mentioned like if you ever wrote a book in my podcast and there's a big piece of me that's like I could never write a book because I would hate it within like two months or whatever, especially when we're talking about technologies. Things change so quickly. There's plenty I'll preface this with there's plenty of really great companies out there. And so I'm not knocking anyone in specific or specifically the ones that I personally use though. I, I have all of my stuff is hosted on Simplecast. Um, I don't have any sort of affiliate relationship with them or anything, but I do know a couple people in their company. I did interview um, Brad, who is their CEO. Um, I interviewed him on my own cast and I've talked to him at podcast movement and some different things. And I just like what they're doing. I like. I think they're a little more forward-facing. Um, they're looking for new technologies. They're looking at just things that are very appealing to me as both a producer and a podcaster. 
Um, and I, and I just like a lot of their stuff. Brad personally has a history. I think this is his third successful company that he started, which is a good track record for me because this is tough business. Um, and so those things all become factors. Outside of that, I do have some of our clients, and I used to host my own stuff on Blueberry. Um, Blueberry is like a long time, um, just very dependable uh, platform for media hosts specifically. And then also I've done Lipson in the past too, which is another just really trusty standby, um, been around for a long time, knows the market well. And each platform has its own perks. There's a lot of new ones coming out. Um, I've just seen some other people that are in my kind of in my peripherals that have been launching new hosting companies and you mentioned knowing people as well. And so they exist and each one for the most part serves a certain type of person just depending on your needs. And so those are the ones that I use, but I really, I don't want to give a cop-out answer, but I would really just do your research. Like each one has benefits depending on what you need in terms of uh, different, uh, I don't know, price points and, and tools with them and analytics. And so it just depends on what you need. How accurate, well, f first I should say that it's, it's you know, the, the whole podcasting uh, hosting spaces is interesting to me. I know a bunch of people at by a bunch, I mean like three or four, uh, that have started their own hosting services. And, you know, the technical side of me says, well, that's, it's pretty easy. It's, it's not like hosting a, a website where there's a lot of variables at play. It's serving up an audio file, depending on the scale of the traffic that, they, that come in. You're not having to debug JavaScript and PHP and read writes of a database and all of this stuff. Uh, so it seems like an approachable hosting business onto its own. Um, which as you were talking about that made me think, boy, boy, if a, if you did pick a hosting service that didn't make it and potentially just sh flat out shut down, man, if you were, if you were uploading all your audio files there for, for years, that's quite a thing to forklift to another service. If you can even get access to the files at all. No real question here, but just something that sort of dawned on me as yeah. you were saying that. So I guess it is very important that people put some kind of um, uh, mm -hmm. thought into where they're going to host their sites. And one other thing I'll tack on to the back of that is uh, in this sort of little fun podcast that I'm, I'm doing with another co-host, uh, The Brad and Matt Show, we hosted it on Anchor. And it was Anchor was like at least in my eyes, was something that was like, oh man, I don't want to go on one of these free platforms again uh, or at all uh, because I just don't know what's going to happen to this content. Luckily, this content is not uber important to me of salvaging it if something happens, but not a bad experience, that anchor. Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just curious on how the heck they're going to stay in business um, over yeah, the years. Everybody is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's go back to the analytics. Uh, I'm sure a lot of customers of yours <clears throat> are asking, hey, is this podcast thing working? <laughs> are, are we getting the results we need? I'm always curious about analytics and podcasts and if I could trust them, how accurate they are. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you found ways to measure this stuff that is accurate? Is that just a thing where it's like, meh, we sort of kind of know how many listens and downloads you get? Uh, what, how does that all unravel when you when you talk to customers? All right, so this is where it starts to get exciting because now we're like validating the service at all or why why anybody should care about it. From the strict technical standards, I'm not going to be the best person. I I don't know a hundred percent certainty that each one of these platforms is reporting on numbers accurately. There's been things over the years where. They would do an update on how things were being tracked in order to filter bots or non-people or, or whatever. And then people would see dips in their numbers and they'd complain about it. And this happened on different platforms. Um, I can tell you that like Blueberry has undergone specific certification. I forget exactly what it is. You you would really need to double check. I think it was, with, Niel um, it was Nielsen's data. Well, they did all of them, all of the legitimate media hosts that are just simply like you said serving up audio files will sort of had this unspoken oath to follow them as accurately as they possibly can but there's not really the way that the whole rss feed and everything works there's not really a concrete way that i can definitively know i had one complete 
total download on this episode. I definitively know I got two. Like there, we can't really do that, but you can still get pretty, pretty accurate. And so other standards come into play too, like IBA type stuff with internet advertising and, and all these factors. And so let's just say for the time being, the numbers that we have in terms of downloads are pretty much accurate, are pretty darn close to what they really are. We'll say there's just a, a very minimum sort of uh, variable in terms of what that is. Normally, though, what I will approach the clients, and I just pulled up this article so I, I can quote it properly because I don't have it all memorized, but we look at a lot of different ways that you might want to evaluate a return on investment when it comes to something like a podcast. And really, you can do this with any piece of content, and it's just audio because what we're doing. So by default, most people will go to that. They'll go to listeners and downloads. And most of the time, that's relevant if you are looking for things like awareness. If you are trying to go into the second piece that could be an ROI would be sponsorships or ad revenue. And that's just more, more or less based on impressions. And so looking at how many people are really listening based on per thousand listeners you have on an episode, then you get this much money based on your ad sponsorship. And those are kind of the normal two ways that people will look at it. But what we found is that there's like a million different ways. Like I, I have nine. There's a lot of different ways. A million is a bit of an overstatement. But other things that we look at is the social proof. And so if you just need to build authority, you could pull something like podcast reviews. If you are an expert talking about a given subject and you talk about this thing, like you could be pulling the podcast reviews that you're getting. Um, we can look at things that would be a little more there'd be a little more soft, but you still can factor in site traffic and conversions. And so this is both on your website. This could be both in email um, and it also could be on social. And so any one of these three, if you're tweeting out or you're sending an email about, hey, there's this new podcast it released with Matt, uh, check it out. And I'm watching the click-through rates and the click-through rates are higher than my normal stuff. I can begin to see engagement there. I can begin to see how many people are sharing. Um, how many, if there's spikes on the days that my podcast goes live on the website traffic and Google analytics, all of those types of things. Um, but for me, some of the most important, and even for my own personal podcast is the networking and the referral aspect of this. Uh, when you try to talk someone or talk to someone and you're like, Hey, can I talk to you for an hour? They're probably going to be like, no, <laughs> but if you call them up and you're like, Hey, I would love to feature you on my podcast. It's about this. I, I really think your expertise would be great in this area. Do you want to share? The likelihood is much higher, especially if, if you have something to stand on in that sense. Um, you can do other things with it, like just overall, like referral engines and things. And then a really, really big one for me too, is relationships where I've made really good friends from doing this where it started off and that just networking piece and it moved to something more. And then some of the last ones too, um, a big one would be generating and repurposing content. And so this is like taking a podcast episode, maybe recorded a video at the same time. Maybe you have a lot of the time I can tell you, like when I write talks for WordCamps, I will write it in the uh, version of an article. I will give the talk when I'm giving the talk, I record the talk and I re-release the talk on my podcast. And so by doing one thing, I'm creating three pieces of content straight out of the gate. And so doing stuff like that, um, there's so much learning to be had. It's a very accessible and easy way to learn instead of necessarily taking the time to sit down and read a book. Um, and then one bonus one is for me, it's fun. And for a lot of people, it's just a, it's a nice, hobby. It's a nice use of time. And so there's a lot of different ways outside of just strictly numbers that we can decide, is this thing worth mm. it or not? There a few things I want to tackle here. Would you say that I have this theory that, not, not even a theory, it's just sort of just a feeling, I guess, <laughs> that especially moving into 2019, when you start talking about repurposing and and maybe it's because I've, I've sort of taken a step out of the agency stuff and, and just focus more on like mentoring smaller businesses in my, in my area. There's a local accelerator that I'm a part of as a mentor. I feel like creating content for the small business or the small business that wants to create content, it's a pretty big challenge for a lot of people. I mean, for people who are trying to run their business and when you bring up things like repurposing, I think it's great. <clears throat> I think it makes total sense, but I think it overwhelms a lot of people. 
And it's almost to the point where as much as people like Gary Vaynerchuk have screamed, you know, create content. I mean, I mean, every episode that you ever watch, I don't know if you ever, if you watch Gary, but without a doubt, by the time you get to the end of any YouTube video, he has screamed content like 17 times. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like content is getting more expensive for people and <clears throat> in time and in creativity that they have to uh, spend to make something that leaves a mark and is memorable to their audience. And I think small businesses are really going to find it challenging if they can't produce the content. Because to me, it's like the new SEO, not even really new, it's like the new old SEO. <laughs> it's like if they really have to invest time and effort to get content right to succeed with it and to get noticed unless they just pay Facebook and Google to send traffic their way. Am I crazy thinking that? Like, is it getting tougher for the person who's just entering in this and trying to make a splash with their new business? Do you, or you have to be at a certain level to even make a podcast and do a YouTube channel and do blogs and do email. What's, what's your general thought and all that? Hmm. A good question. Like I'm um, generally afraid for small businesses. Like I generally feel like, like why though? Like how so? <clears throat> if I were to take a look at a couple people coming through this cohort now in this local accelerator that I'm in, some of them are just trying to start like a food truck business. Have this great idea. Uh, this is their first venture into this stuff, and they want to do a food truck business. Okay. That'd be awesome, right? Uh-huh. Some of the things we talk about is how awesome would it be to create video of you buying the truck and renovating the truck and bring it on location and do all this stuff and write, you know, and, and doing a pod or doing some cool videos of people enjoying the food and, you know, feeding that to your Facebook live and Instagram stories and all this stuff. But oh, by the way, they are one person and they also have to be making the food and selling the food. And there's a lot that they have to worry about mm-hmm. and create the content. And I'm almost to the point where, boy, I, I'm generally afraid for people like that that can't keep up with the marketing and content promotions that so many of us are rallying around all the while they're trying oh. to run their business. And I'm wondering if small businesses can well, keep why, up. Why, why do they have to? I mean, I, I maybe you're not, I don't want to assume what you're saying. Like, are you saying for the businesses that do want to do that or they've validated that's a good move for them? I think that f- folks have to promote them. You think that you think everyone has to do content? I think everyone has to do content. I guess I would disagree okay. on that point. I don't think you have to. What 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 does someone like I, do in lieu of content to get the word out? Um for us, like I can say for us the main driver of our traffic is AdWords. I have a, a good friend of mine who's um, a CMO of a larger company. I had him come in and we paid him to set up our initial AdWords campaign. We dialed it in very specific because I don't know, you might be getting to this. You mentioned to me beforehand, like you're kind of wondering the competition in the space. When you look at the podcasting, I can break it down and basically th- I look at it in three tiers. The first tier are experts, quote unquote experts, who will teach you how to do it. So they would be a really good fit if you're the type of person who wants to do it themselves and you want to save time by having somebody smarter than you tell you what to do. And they tell you what to do either one-on-one, group sessions, uh, online courses, whatever. And so you pay them some sort of fee and then you have to go do it yourself. That's tier one. Tier two, and the probably what I think is the most popular, is the automated service. And so this is strictly what I consider technical help. And this is when you have the audio, you have the means to record the audio, you know what you're going to talk about and you record it, but you don't want to edit it and you don't want to post it online. And so you'll hire one of these services, you pay a monthly fee, normally ranging from, I think I've seen legitimate services as low as 250, but most of the time it's around 500 to $900 a month. And then you're getting weekly episodes edited down, mastered, like they use a bunch of fancy words, but it just basically means they sound good. And then at the end of that, they get posted online with some transcriptions or show notes. There's a third tier, and this is more of where I've put our own agency of, we literally want a turnkey product. Um, Agencies that I admire would be people like Gimlet Media or Pacific Content and some of these people that are doing like really large scale branded projects that are amazing. And we're 
on track to go that way. We're, we're starting to bring on new clients that are kind of fitting that mold. And so it's like, I totally forget why I painted it this way. What was <laughs> well, my point, so, Matt? <laughs> so the sm- so again, so I, we were talking about competition well, we comp- and the, the, the sort of sword fight of content driving, using content to drive traffic to a small business oh, and, and my, and my go. general fear for go. small business. So with that being said, I have not focused internally on content a whole lot. Um, I sort of have and I sort of haven't. Strictly from a come alive agency standpoint, I have a very limited amount of articles I've written. Um, I want to write more, but I don't have time right now to do that. And so the content that I have written has been incredibly strategic. Um, I've looked at what are the people that I want to talk to actually saying, what are they actually searching for? And I can tell you, like, my best article right now on Come Alive Creative is the how much should you, the, the title of it is how much should you, how much should it cost to produce a podcast for my business? And that's actually gotten us organic traffic because I often ask people when they come in how they found us and that type of thing. And that one's ranking, like kind of front page style ranking on Google and stuff. And so I'm intentional with that. I've almost entirely, in fact, I have almost entirely completely forgot about social with come alive i have my own personal twitter but that's about the only thing that i do kind of do linkedin um and then even other stuff um say with like you you mentioned email list i sent an email probably last year around this time of i'm gonna send more emails and then i never did (laughs) and so it's like those things are all happening but adwords has been our main driver and and i i Yes. So I agree. Like if you're not going to create content, then you go the paid route because you have to get eyeballs somewhere unless you have a massive referral program with your existing customers. But my argument to your argument is a small business, a traditional small business. Maybe you're looking at yourself as a small digital business, uh, but you have the capacity and the brain power to understand AdWords where a lot of well, I, I don't. Oh, you hired, hired somebody, somebody, right? You hired somebody. <laughs> Let's not give Jeff all the credit. I, I could figure yeah. it out. I, yeah, I could figure it out, but I didn't right. this time. Um, I think that going that down that route is even more difficult for a small business because finding some, number one, they have to have the money to do it. And right now they're sinking all their money into starting up their business. And even if they found somebody that did AdWords, they're not spending enough. They don't have the budget for a typical AdWords manager to come in and... But, but I mean, isn't that isn't that the game that we all play as business owners? We have to prioritize on something. And I mean, maybe content, maybe it's not content yet. And I guess I just, I, I'm not 100% sold yet that everyone needs yeah. content. Like there's already so much content. If all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to start a fashion blog. Like I can't think that I'd be that successful right now unless there was something super, super unique about me that really made it stand out. I agree with that. And maybe content in a more like, not content in a more sterile sterile form of like a blog post or an ebook, but the promotion side of it too, right? So back to the food truck example, he or she needs to be creating something if they're, they have to be promoting somehow to drive traffic, you'd be foolish not to. So how do you do that with no money? You create video content, Instagram story content, something more interesting. Yeah. I mean, you reminded me, have you watched the movie Chef on Netflix? I start, I think I started to and then fell asleep. Oh man, it's funny. <laughs> I, oh no, that's too bad. I really yeah. liked it and it made me want a food truck <laughs> after I watched it because I think what his, the, I, without giving too much away, it's the chef, he starts a food truck. Um, he kind of has this career that he doesn't, he's not happy with, starts a food truck and his son starts to do social for him. And so, I mean, I guess what is preventing the person that you have in mind with the food truck from just doing one thing, like how hard is it for them? Everybody, almost everybody has a a phone Mm -hmm. and most of our phones have really killer cameras. How difficult would it be for them to just, I'm going to do Snapchat or not Snapchat. I'm going to do Instagram and we're going to use Instagram and I'm going to take 
artsy shots of my my photos or my food and heck maybe even like do the classic like my my nephew is studying to be a photographer i'm gonna let them take photos of our truck and you just start in one single place like that really doesn't take a whole lot of extra effort am i underselling this it's uh i would say yes to folks that are not inherently good at this stuff right and 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 well, then, what else are they? I mean, I guess I don't know what other solution there is then, because you're like you're putting you're painting me in a box. You said that they can't, they're not inherently good at it yeah. themselves, and they don't have the money to hire. So I'm going to tell you they're screwed based on the parameters you just well, gave that, me. Well, and that's what I'm getting at. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Um, when if you spend time, and and maybe because you're spending time with a lot of businesses that are, they know they need digital. All I can tell you is for the last four years being a mentor in a local accelerator where the it is an accelerator for um i forget their i forget their tagline but it's for local businesses that have local social impact right these are the types of businesses that they're entering into the accelerator they're doing a 90-day sprint of learning everything from branding marketing legal law accounting all of this stuff real estate and then by the time they come out of it, some people, you know, win five thousand to ten thousand dollars to kickstart their business. Mm-hmm. Um, and these people are coming in with an idea or a small existing business already, and a lot of them need the marketing help. Marketing help, but they don't know where to begin. And that is the wor- That is my worry that the competition is so great. That there's just a there's a huge swath of people that just don't get this stuff, and they try, and they fail, and it exhausts them, and that's my worry. I, maybe maybe there is no answer uh, uh, for this. I just feel like okay, so like you said, do Snapchat, <clears throat> start with one thing, do it great, and start building up an audience. But there, once you get to a certain level, and I'd even argue this for your own business. Hey, I only do AdWords. Well, what happens if I come in and start doing AdWords? I start competing with you at that AdWords. How do you get to that next level? Well, they, they start comparing back to competition, you know, both of our businesses. And maybe Matt has this awesome YouTube channel and they don't hire Jeff. Mm-hmm. So they say, look at Matt. His content's awesome on his YouTube channel. And you didn't do any content. So mm-hmm. eventually these things really start to butt heads. Um, I just have this thing like, it's very difficult for the small business because I've seen it firsthand, maybe just in my local market where people are like blogging. Ugh. Like they, they, they hear me talk about podcasting. Oh, no, they go, for sure. They go podcasting. I don't even, how, what, how do I even do this? <laughs> you know? And I, and I try mm-hmm. to shift people through that same mentality of Instagram story, Snapchat, start there, use it as your 30 second audio video thing and then graduate to the next level as you grow your business but it becomes very difficult uh, i think for some people yeah i'm not oh it's it's certainly <clears throat> yeah. hard i'm not gonna downplay that by any means it's it's hard in that sense uh, but i i still just feel like that that's what we have to do if you're gonna spend the time to be a business owner you have to figure it out and and you have a pers like a perspective that i don't by going through and mentoring these people in, in this thing. And, and I can think back to my days of working with maybe some of my smaller clients who didn't understand specific things that they should be doing or how to properly write the blog in order to it be formatted right in SEO. And like, I mean, there's, there's so much technicality that goes into it, but at the same time, most of us just need to a figure it out. B some, most of the time that starts with getting started and everybody's going to, suck to a certain extent when you begin and you just have to you learn like I wasn't an amazing podcast I don't even consider myself an amazing podcaster yet and I've been doing it for six years I've been working in audio for 15 and it's like I'm just starting to figure out some of these things I can go back to teaching and I can tell you my by the time I was done my students were amazing they were pulling awesome test scores they were smart they had fun they enjoyed my class but it didn't start that way 
It was hella hard the first year, the second year. Year three, I finally felt like I could breathe. It wasn't until year four and five that I was like excited. And I was able to not only like be, I was beyond curriculum. I already built my curriculum and I was able to focus on management and how do I really tailor things to each one of these kids. And that just takes time. And so I don't know how this would be any different, I guess. Yeah. It's something that um, I'm going to see transition or, or start to compound more as these businesses that have graduated years ago and and see what their success rates are uh, over time. You said something interesting before that, you're on track to go the uh, sort of Gimlet Media route where you're making sort of branded content before. Sort of in the same vein there is, I read an article the other day or it might have been a tweet thread. I meant to save it because I knew we were going to be talking today of like Joe Rogan doing somewhere between 50 to $100 million in ad revenue uh, with his podcast, which seemed quite astronomical. First of all, 50 to 100 is a big difference. Uh, 50 million mm-hmm. is a lot of money anyway, but going from 50 to 100 million is, is a pretty big gap there. Uh, number one, did you see that tweet thread at all about his revenue? I didn't know. Do you believe that revenue number? Um, I don't have, I need to yeah. see it before I can give you conclusive evidence that I believe uh, it or not. It, it, so... <laughs> I believe you. Yeah, you I mean, saw I, it. I saw it and I meant to bookmark. It. I was kind of feverishly looking for it while you were talking before. Um, but going the the Gimlet Media route and creating branded materials, is that the same kind of thing where you're sort of crafting up these unique shows and then you go out and you sell advertisement on these shows? Like, walk me down that path. What's your thinking? No, um, no, not uh, when I say on track to do things like the companies I admire it's not so much the ad revenue piece like I listen to some of the people from Gimlet and I don't want to speak for them um, but I, I will say the thing they have certain quantifiers that they know they need to hit sp- specific numbers they ne- the show has to be pulling in specific numbers per episode to make it worth it to them um, and this is coming from some of the people that talked on the panels I mean this is just open information um, if you have like a digital pass to the past podcast movement and and things like that. And they've probably brought it up other places. So from an advertiser sense, I don't care because most of the stuff that we do, I don't sell advertising. I have one client right now that we were able to help them uh, achieve a really nice and and well fit sponsor. And so now we help manage that relationship as well, where we're like, we're working with them in order to um, get these sponsorship slots filled for like, with that company where like we interview people from their company and it directly relates to the content that we're already producing for our client. And so we have some overlay in terms of the organization and the recording of that. But for the most part, what I mean is like that we're able to be a little more selective with our projects and that we're able to be a little more picky with like who we're working with and what kind of like content we get to create. Um, One of the things that I realized, do you, have you ever watched any of Peter McKinnon's stuff on YouTube? Did you see his um, recent The Bucket whatever documentary? Okay. So it was kind of that. I watched that video on the bucket shot um, of him exploring the the photo that he really wanted. And I can tell you that I'm more of a literal person. I like the nuts and bolts of things. I like um, how stuff works and, and the science behind it in that regard and like a good principles and marketing and good principles and audio and how do I create a good piece? This is the first time I feel like in a long, long, long while that I've started to look at this as art and it's how can I craft a really beautiful audio episode? How can I take what my client wants to achieve and Get gather the right resources, gather the right interviews that are going to support the narrative, or even let we'll be able to find the narrative in that. What will the narrative be? How can I piece it together in a way that would be very similar to creating a documentary style movie or somebody that's creating some sort of montage with photography? It's like this is the first time that I'm thinking about those things, and so that's become more important to me of of the craft of this, and more than. I need revenue to sustain us. I, I want to continue growing. Um, it's a business that needs to thrive. That's what businesses hopefully do. And that's how you know they're working, um, that they can be sustainable in that way and that you can grow them and that they will support people. 
and that I can solve problems for clients and things, but I still care very deeply about the work. Like I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't care about the work, like work at the end of the day, work is work. Like we all have to do something to make ends meet, to support our families and things. I'm incredibly grateful that I get to do something that I actually appreciate that it's fun. Like it's fun to be able to talk to these people. You said one of the biggest things, like you, you were talking about legacy, like you hope to impart on your sons this, whatever, however you phrased it, but this sort of like ability to speak, to be a good person, to be able to go through an interview. Like I want to do that as well. Like that type of thing is important to me. Yeah. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think that's interesting, you know, in this space, of course, the storytelling is important. Um, at connecting with that audience, connecting the audience, the right audience to the right content, uh, also super important. One of the things that, um, you know, I, I think that I wrestle with is how do you create the storyline? If I were to like look at that Peter McKinnon video, and, that, and this is something I'm trying to, I was thinking of when you brought that up. Um, is how to formulate this question is, let's say a customer looks at that and they say, wow, this is awesome. This video that Peter did is great. Visuals, great, obviously, because of the scenery, uh, of course, of his editing and stuff like that. By the way, the audio on that video was exceptional, I thought. Uh, it's mm -hmm. one of my highlights of that, actually, that video. Customer says, this is great, Jeff. Make that for us. How do you do that convincingly as a third party for something that is so personally connected to, to Peter? Is it, you just can't, like, do you just look at that and say, well, look, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, I would literally need to give you a camera and you would literally need to be going around and filming yourself to, to create this kind of intimacy. Um, how do you leverage that, like, third party person versus like that intimate connection that a solo creator can do is is that something that's difficult which is sort of what i was hinting at before about why this is so difficult for the small okay, business okay. To, to do that how, how do you bridge that gap that that was you you're withholding information <laughs> that was very important <laughs> you had me ranting on something and i didn't have the full perspective um that's a that's a really great point because in a lot of ways you can't. I had this exact conversation with a friend of mine beforehand. I have a, a friend of mine who is doing something similar to us, uh, but based out of Europe, and we met at Podcast Movement, and so we started just having sort of monthly roundups, talking about what each other are doing and trying to help each other out. And we were talking about this of how do you create authenticity in a somebody that's not you, and and that is a unique thing. But I can say that's not everybody's goal and so I, I don't want to sidestep but I can I can't it's going to be difficult because some of these I can't talk about yet because they're not out in the wild yet but I can say like for one of our clients the topic of conversation is what their organization is about but it's still about the topic of conversation and not them and so I'm able to make a story that's about the topic of conversation that can still be authentic to them, if that makes sense. Um, some of it, when the personal piece is needed, I can say one of one of, another one of our clients um, is a, a Terra Search. It's Matt Sleppen. He runs a podcast called Leading Voices in Real Estate. He interviews some of the biggest people uh, in the real estate space, people that are responsible for like the construction of the Chicago skyline and like just massive, like the largest. Um, I don't even remember all of them now, the largest REITs and the largest, like all this stuff in real estate that are just major, major players. Like he has a hand and he's been doing this for 20 years now. He shows up for the interview and he's able to be host and fully be himself and how he writes his questions, how he pursues the interview, how he asks those things. I'm able to come in as an editor after the fact and make him and his guest edit it in a way that it, it still, it never compromises the, the integrity of what they're doing but edit them so they just sound even better than they were. And so for me, I'm able, he, he still has to provide me the content in order for it to be his personality, 
but I can make it better by the nature of the work that we're doing. And so can I create the same thing for Peter that he made himself? No, but that's usually not my goal. Usually I have a goal that's sort of similar that I'm able to work with and be able to do. And then honestly, if a client came to me or a prospect came to me with a goal that we couldn't do, I wouldn't take it. Like it's, it's one of those things, even, even when we've been slow, not just over the course of the agency, if the project wasn't the right fit, I've always been tried really, really hard to be honest with myself that we wouldn't just do it, uh, that we would always find the right fit. So it would just benefit both, both that and us. Jeff, it has been a pleasure talking to you for two hours, just over two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an hour here, but yeah. Um, it's been an amazing uh, uh, journey these last two hours, just learning about you know who you are and what you do, and um, I'm glad we connected. For folks who are listening now, uh, somehow we are going to make this synergy where I link. Uh, to Jeff's show. Jeff links to my show if you want to hear what we were talking about last hour. Uh, <laughs> to- total yeah, backlink yeah. strategy. Uh, go to Jeff's show. And, uh, you know, obviously, if, if, when you, if you listen to Jeff's show first, you're, you're here now. So thank you for that. Um, it's been an amazing ride. It's been great to learn what you're doing. Um, we could probably talk for hours, but I got to go to the bathroom and I've got a meeting in 15 minutes. <laughs> so, Jeff, where can Perfect. folks find you on the web to say thanks? I will send, if you want to talk to me, oh, I'm going to break the rules and give a couple Don't call to actions. It. For me personally, the easiest spot is jefflarge.com. <laughs> jefflarge.com. Um, and then you can link through. I'm most active on Twitter and links of that are through there. Um, otherwise, if you want to know more about my agency, you can go to comealivecreative.com. Everybody else is mattreport.com. Mattreport.com slash subscribe to join the mailing list, the number one way to stay connected where you will eventually get an email from me hopefully in 2019 we'll see you in the next episode